I love grace. And I love Lisa, but I love grace. I love watching grace in action. Now, maybe, I don't know what you like. Maybe it's sports, maybe it's music, maybe it's uh, whatever. But I love watching grace in action. It could be a, a ballet dancer. You know, how they stand on those toes so long, I, I don't get it. But I know it takes a lot of grace. I love watching, uh, I've never seen one in person, hope to someday, but on TV I've seen the Cirque du Soleil. And what grace, the movement and everything that they portray. I love seeing it in athletes. I like it when it happens more often with the Los Angeles Lakers than any other team. But I love watching grace. When you see somebody and they, and they, they just make it look so easy, how did they do that? It, it's almost like they have this power inside of them or this power possesses them that they're able to do this and it almost looks just so effortless. Maybe it's a musician, and you hear the notes, and you watch them play or sing, and, and it's like this otherworldly power just entered the room and connected with your heart and your very being. I, um, I had the opportunity uh, about a month ago, I think it was. It was back in March. Um, I saw this great deal come across the Internet. And they were for Los Angeles Clipper tickets, which they usually have great deals for Clipper tickets. Um, on a pastor's budget, I can afford to go more to see the Clippers than the Lakers. So I was looking, and, and they were having these great deals. I was able to get these floor seats, eight rows away from the floor, for like next to nothing. And so I wasn't going to see the Clippers. I wanted to go see the Suns. So they were playing the Suns, and I wanted to see Steve Nash, because I'd never seen Steve Nash. If you don't know who he is, he's a phenomenal um, NBA player, and he's a, he's, he's a small guy, but when he plays, I mean, he doesn't matter how big or small the other players are, he's just amazing. So we, I was going to go see Steve Nash, but during the season, Blake Griffin had developed, and he's this rookie, and, and he does these amazing things. He, he gets up so high, you can't believe how high he jumps. You know, and you've, you've probably seen someone do a, a slam dunk before. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't need to have the area cleared in order to dunk a basketball. There could be a guy standing in front of him three or four feet away from the basket, and he'll jump over them and reach and dunk it. And so I thought, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be eight rows away from the court, and my son is going to be able to see how big these guys are, and he'll be able to see Blake and Steve and all these guys. And to watch these guys, and there were many times, you know, many times in the game where we did this. Like something happened, we're like, whoa, did you see that? That was amazing. Like, and the bummer is, well, now they have the big screen, but you know, when you're at home and you have your DVR, you can watch it 10 times. You know, that, how did he do that? Put it in slow motion. You know, I, just amazing. This otherworldly powers like entered the room. I love watching grace. Today I want to speak about grace. I want to talk about it fairly in depth, I hope, with, with uh, the time I have this morning and to be able to, to look and see what the Bible has to say about grace. So we're going to kind of do a little Bible study, if you will, and look at several scriptures and see what exactly is grace. Because it's interesting, I put out on Facebook this week, I said, hey, I'd be interested to know your thoughts and opinions on grace. And so people started replying. And I got a plethora of all kinds of different ideas. Some of them kind of overlap, but, but interesting, the ideas of grace, because grace sometimes just feels like that 
mystical. You can't quite put your fingers around it. You can't quite, what is grace exactly? And some people, they, they say, yes, the Christian life is about grace, but don't forget the other side. Don't forget the other half. So what, what is grace? And Lamott says grace is this. Grace means you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. Hmm, interesting thought. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, if you've never read that, I, I encourage it highly. Um, it was written in the light, late 90s. What's So Amazing About Grace. Philip Yancey was talking in his book about a, a convention during a British conference on comparative religions. And experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation? Uh, other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection? Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. He said, what's the rumpus all about? And he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique con contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Interesting. Well, what is this word grace in Scripture? You know, probably the most popular text in all of Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 2. And this is the one that, that as Christians we always turn back to and say, here it is, I'm saved by grace. Let's look at this. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, okay, yes, we're saved by grace, right? It's by grace we've been saved. It's, it's God. We were sinners, but while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. By grace we've been saved. Okay, pastor, yes, I believe it's by grace that, that I've been saved. I know that. But sometimes, and I've heard this said oftentimes through my ministry, grace is scary, pastor. Well, why is grace scary? Because too many people base their whole Christian experience on grace alone. Oh, Okay. So what else? What else should we base it on? Well, you know, we're saved by grace. I believe that, absolutely. We're saved. But there's a work to do to become holy. We've got, you know, we can't forget obedience. We can't forget sanctification. We're justified by grace, but, but sanctification, you know, we've got to work hard for that. Okay, all right. You know, you've heard in the term probably greasy grace. You know, oh, they're one of those greasy grace people. You know, it is, oh yeah, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. I just keep going on sinning, I'm forgiven. God forgives me, don't worry. Oh yeah, they're one of those greasy grace churches. Hmm. 
What about grace? Well, let's look at grace a little bit more. The Gospels actually don't even use the word grace very much. In fact, Luke writes this statement, which you have probably heard before, and sometimes during Christmas it pops up and about the journey of Jesus as a boy. In Luke 2.40, it says this, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the what? The grace of God was upon him. Hmm. The grace of God was upon Jesus as he grew as a boy. John, which we just finished a whole series in the book of John, and looked at a couple of these verses. John says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, when he came, was full of the grace of God. In verse 16 and 17 of John, it says, From the fullness of his grace, speaking of Jesus, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's it for the Gospels, pretty much. And then the book of Acts. Book of Acts, such an exciting book. Jesus has left the earth. He's commissioned his disciples. They're waiting in Jerusalem. He says, wait there until the Holy Spirit comes out upon you. The Holy Spirit's poured out. Pentecost happens, and the church starts to explode. And listen to how Luke, Dr. Luke, talks about Acts in Acts. With great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and much, what? Grace was upon them all. Seems like there's something more to this grace than just, okay, I'm saved by grace. It's, it's unmerited favor is the traditional uh, definition of grace, which is a good, a good definition, but God loves me in spite of myself, yes, but it seems like there's something more to this grace. Much grace was upon them all. In Acts chapter 20, writing about Paul, it says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. How would you like to live a life like that? I'm sitting here as a pastor going, man, I, you know, every day I'm not getting up knowing that imprisonment and hardships face me every day. But that's what Paul was going through. But look what got him through. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That was his mission. That's what kept him going, testifying to the gospel of God's grace. To Paul, the gospel is God's grace. Paul, later on in this chapter, he says this, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, 
which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Interesting. It's the word of God's grace that Paul says builds people up and gives us an inheritance among those who are not just justified, but who are also sanctified. Interestingly enough, too, if you look at all of Paul's letters, every single one of Paul's letters begins with grace. Right? Grace and peace to you and our Lord Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, all of Paul's letters at the end end with grace. Grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he goes, it's interesting. It's a neat little study if you want to do it sometimes. I love what one Bible encyclopedia said. By beginning as Paul does, Paul is suggesting the supremacy of grace as the source from which flow all the blessings of the new order into which God's unmerited favor has brought the redeemed soul. See, I don't think it was just a greeting and a conclusion at the end or a benediction. It was Paul saying, this Christian life, it's about grace at the beginning, it's about grace at the end, and it's about grace all in between. It's grace. Paul goes on. We're going to look at some more texts. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We've been justified through faith, but now we stand in this grace. In chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, which we all experience now, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Yes, sent into by the one man, but now, but now, through the abundant provision of grace, we will reign in life through Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in Romans 12, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. It's grace that makes Paul say this. By the grace given me, I say to everyone. It's grace that's empowering him to say this. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. I love this one. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then there's my favorite word that I always tell you. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I love that. Every time I read this, I, I, I can't help but think of Popeye. You know, Remember Popeye? I am what I am. That's who I am. And here's Paul saying, I am what I am. I persecuted the church. I didn't even deserve to be an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Yes, I'm saved by grace. But here's something I want you to think about. We talk about being saved by grace, salvation. But I believe salvation is, is not a one-time deal. Yes, we're saved by what Christ did for us on the cross. We're, it's, that's settled. But I am in the process of being saved 
from myself by God's grace in which he is transforming me. His grace, his grace came to me in his love, but his grace now is also in the process of changing who I am. My very being is changing course. It's a new order that God has put in place that I get to reside in and experience the power of. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's God's grace, Paul says, that was working in me, that made me work so hard and able to do the things that I did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul goes on, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Isn't that amazing? God's grace. It's not only the unmerited favor of God coming to us and saying, it doesn't matter that you've sinned. I don't care how many times you've sinned. I love you. I've come here for you. And now I'm not going to leave you where I found you because I'm going to give you the life that you've always dreamed of that you don't even know how to dream because it's so big for you to experience freedom in life. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul brings out that God's grace is directly related to God's power for a Christian's life. You see, God's grace is about pardon but it's also about power. And so when we come to Christ, or I should say, let me correct that, when Christ comes to us, when Christ comes to us and, and he finds us and we see his love for us and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, thank God for saving me, your grace that came to me, unmerited favor. But the unmerited favor continues in the Christian walk and in the Christian journey. In order to be the things that God invites us to be, it's only by his grace and his power that continues, that unmerited favor through the presence of the Holy Spirit that transforms our very being. So that when I start out in the Christian life and I, and, and I have a hard time really expressing unconditional love, hopefully, and I believe confidently that by the grace of God, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years later, oh, I'm so much more loving. Not because I worked hard, but because, as Paul said, the grace of God worked in me. Hebrews 4, a text that maybe many of us like to fall on in tough times. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace, grace, the throne of grace, grace coming to us, helping us. And then one of my favorite passages on grace, a little book called Titus, chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see there what grace does for us? The grace of God that brings salvation, yes, it's appeared to all men. But look at what grace grace does. It, referring to grace, it, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When? In this present age. While we wait for that blessed hope, for Jesus to return. The grace of God meets us, but it also empowers us to live the Christian life. It seems so often, and I know growing up as a, I grew up in a Christian home, but, but still, for so many years, I knew, yes, Jesus loved me and that he saved me, but, I, but it was so hard to live the Christian life. It was so hard to, to do more and to do better and to, to just, because I found myself continually failing. Until later on, I I began to discover really what God's grace was and and to learn to rest in that. I love what Dallas Willard says in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, you know, oftentimes we we think of saints, you know, the people who seem to have it all together, the people who do everything right and just always act accordingly. Like, they're the ones who just like, they don't need much grace. Lord, I need a ton of grace because I got issues. But what Dallas Willard says, he says, no, 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 you got it completely backwards. You see, for, gra- for, for saints, grace is their very fuel for living. It's not because those people are so good they need less grace and maybe I need more. We are all fully dependent on the grace of God to live the life he calls us and challenges us to live. Apart from the grace of God, the Christian life is impossible. Peter says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the grace. Grow in the grace. It's not a one-time deal. We grow in the grace. And then finally, the very last verse. And this is the very last verse in the whole Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The last word to Christians in Scripture. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. All about grace. You look at the book of Revelation, and if you, if you haven't been able to come out on the Tuesday nights when Dr. Pauline is here, we only got a couple more sessions left for this year, and then we, then we continue next year, but come out if you can, because, boy, it's, it's powerful. But when you read Revelation, you look at everything the church is going through, and all the tribulation, and all the different things that are happening It's grace that gets the church through. It's God's power to continue on in their life. 
You know, um, Eugene Peterson, in his book, Leap Over a Wall, if you've never read it, do yourself a, a treat and read this book, Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. In his book, he talks about, he talks about sin. And he says, you know, basically he says, and I'm putting it in my own words, he says, basically sin gets way too much, way too much publicity, way too much credit. Sin is really not that exciting. It's very, really very boring. If you look at sin over the centuries, what's new? It's the same thing over and over and over and over. And when, you, when, you, when you're in that sin, you've you got to have more. You've got to have more. It's, it's just, it's boring. He said what's exciting and what's creative is the grace and the power and the redemption, the sanctification, the justification of God. That's when you see exciting things happen. And we can all probably testify. Because sometimes you may have found yourself in a situation or you may have seen someone else in a situation and you see someone full of the grace of God connect with that person and they go to creative measures to redeem that person. Now that's exciting. That's grace in action. I love watching grace in action. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I'm going to uh, give you a little quiz. Without looking, okay? Don't you hate pop quizzes? I hated them in school. I was like, oh, no, pop quiz. Pop quiz. You're not allowed to look at your bulletin. Can anyone tell me the first parts of the first line of our mission statement on the back of this bulletin? I told you it was going to be rough. Now, I understand, I'm not sure exactly how long it's been here, but I think it's been here for at least 15 years. So this is not something I just put on the bulletin, okay? And no cheating. I see eyes looking around, you know, is there a bulletin laying on the pew? I don't see it. Anybody throw out a, a few words? All right, you're just being modest, I know, because you all know the answer. I'm going to go with that. I always lean towards, you know, favor rather than... But here's what the first line of our mission statement says. As we are saved by grace, so we live, serve, follow, and lead by grace. Did you know that's you? Well, if you forgot, I'm reminding you this morning. As we are saved by grace, this is on the back of your bullet. You can look now because you're probably... I want you to know I'm telling the truth. On the back of your bulletin, down at the bottom, our mission. As we are saved by grace, so we live, serve, follow, and lead by grace. Now, before I came to this church, you know, I don't like to leave any stones unturned. When you're going to uproot your family, your wife's going to not do her private practice that she's done for so long down in San Diego, and you've been with a group of people for several years, and you're going to uproot and sell your home in a bad economy, and you're going to come, you're going to turn every rock upside down and sideways and look for new rocks. And so I asked a lot of questions, met with a lot of people, prayed a lot, and I looked at the website, I looked at the vision and mission statement, and when I saw that, I said... I can do that because that's what I'm for. I was coming to a place in which I believed that God 
was already doing work that I could just step into and be involved in because it's all by grace. And I believe everything is by grace in the Christian life. Everything that God asks me to do, when it's loving someone that I really am having a hard time loving, when it's stepping out and talking to somebody about something that's a very uncomfortable subject that they didn't ask me to talk with them about, but I need to speak with them about, give me grace, God. It's grace. May my speech be seasoned with grace. Grace. We believe that we're not just saved by grace, made right with God by grace, but we are empowered by the grace of God to experience the holiness, to experience the obedience, to experience the righteousness within us. It's all grace. As we are saved by grace, so we live, serve, follow, and lead by grace. And how does that happen? Now look at the front of your bulletin. On the left side of your bulletin, abiding in Christ, loving one another, serving and bearing witness in the world. John 15. It happens by abiding. It happens by being connected to the vine. And I'm going to say this very boldly and very simply. Apart from abiding in Christ, we cut ourselves off from the very power of God in our life. And this is scary territory because I think every one of us can testify, no matter how old or how young we are, that busyness is severing us from abiding. That all the to-do lists and all the schedules and all the things that have to get done Squeeze out time of connecting and abiding in Christ. And yet Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, apart from me, you can do a few things. Jesus said plainly, apart from me, you can do nothing. But abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit because of his life source and his grace within us. I'm pushing us here, but I'm going to go. i got to read this. I love what Ellen White says. And, you know, I'm tired of people saying, Ellen White, you know, she didn't have any grace. Listen to this. Grace will heal every spiritual disease. By it, hearts may be cleansed from all defilement. It is the gospel remedy for everyone who believes. We may take daily progress, we may make daily progress in the upward path to holiness, and yet we find still greater heights to be reached. But every stretch of the spiritual muscles, every taxation of the heart and brain brings to light the abundance of the supply of grace essential for us as we advance. If we are true to the promptings of the Spirit of God, we shall go on from grace to grace and from glory to glory until we shall receive the finishing touch of immortality. Grace, grace, grace. You see, just like those athletes, those musicians, those dancers, or whoever you find graceful, when we live in God's grace, we do the things that almost appear otherworldly in this world. And people see it and they go, whoa, that's not normal. That type of love is not normal. That type of acceptance, that type of courage to do the right thing, that's not normal in this world. 
How do you get that power? It's grace. It's grace in action. And I love watching grace in action in my own life and in those around me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that comes to us, that rescues us. And thank you for your grace that empowers us to live the life you call us to live. Lord, give us the grace to abide. Give us the grace to prioritize and to to connect with you through word and prayer and know that there is no other power in life that is worth being connected to than your power of grace. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to just talk to God about his grace in your life. God is able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.